I want to thank Jake Wetzel for his very thoughtful prayer and for leading us in the opening part of worship. We will continue reading about Gideon, whose story is taken up in chapters uh, 6, 7, and 8 of the book of Judges. This is chapter 7, verse 1. And then Gideon and all the people who were with him rose early and encamped beside the spring of Herod. And the camp of Midian was on the north side of them by the hill of Mori in the valley. And the Lord said to Gideon, The people who are with you are too many for me to give Midian into your hand, lest Israel become boastful, saying, My own power has delivered me. Now therefore come and proclaim in the hearing of the people, saying, Whoever is afraid and trembling, let him return and depart from Mount Gilead. So 22,000 people returned, but 10,000 remained. Then the Lord said to Gideon, The people are still too many. Bring them down to the water, and I will test them for you there. Therefore it shall be that he of whom I say to you, This one shall go with you, he shall go with you. But every one of whom I say, This one shall not go with you, he shall not go. So he brought the people down to the water, and the Lord said to Gideon, you shall separate every one who laps the water with his tongue as a dog laps, as well as every one who kneels to drink. Now the number of those who lapped, putting their hand to their mouth, was 300 men, but all the rest of the people kneeled to drink water. And the Lord said to Gideon, I will deliver you with the 300 men who lapped and will give the Midianites into your hand. So let all the other people go, each man to his home. So the 300 men took the people's provisions and their trumpets into their hands, and Gideon sent all the other men of Israel each to his tent. But he retained the 300, and the camp of Midian was below them in the valley. Now the same night it came about that the Lord said to him, Arise and go down against the camp, for I have given it into your hand. But if you are afraid, go with Pura, your servant, down to the camp, and you will hear what they are saying. And afterward your hand will be strengthened, that you may go down against the camp. And so he took his servant down to the outpost of the army that was in the camp. Now the Midianites and the Amalekites and all the sons of the east were lying in the valley as numerous as locusts, and their camels were without number as numerous as the sand on the seashore. When Gideon came, behold, a certain man was relating a dream to his friend, and he said, Behold, I had a dream. A loaf of barley bread was tumbling into the camp of Midian, and it came to the tent and struck it so that it fell and it turned it upside down so that the tent lay flat. And his friend answered and said, This is nothing less than the sword of Gideon, the son of Joash, a man of Israel. God has given Midian and all the camp into his hand. And it came about when Gideon heard the account of the dream and its interpretation, that he bowed in worship, and he returned to the camp of Israel and said, Arise, for the Lord has given the camp of Midian 
into your hand. And he divided the 300 men into three companies, and he put trumpets and empty pitchers into the hands of all of them with torches inside the pitchers. And he said to them, Look at me, and do likewise. And behold, when I come to the outskirts of the camp, do as I do. And when I and all who are with me blow the trumpet, then you shall also blow the trumpet all around the camp and say for the Lord and for Gideon. And so Gideon and the hundred men who were with him came to the outskirts of the camp at the beginning of the middle watch. And when they had posted the watch, they blew the trumpets, smashed the pitchers that were in their hands, and when the three companies blew the trumpets and broke the pitchers, they held the torches in their left hand and the trumpet in their right hands for the blowing, and they cried, A sword for the Lord and for Gideon. And each man stood in his place around the camp, and all the army ran, crying out as they fled. And they blew three hundred trumpets, and the Lord set the sword of one against another, even throughout the whole army. And the army fled as far as the edge of Tabith, and the men of Israel were summoned from Naphtali and Asher and all Manasseh, and they pursued Midian. And Gideon sent messengers throughout all the hills and told them that the victory was theirs. And now, let God bless to our hearts this reading from his word. Today we have one of my favorite Bible stories. It's the story of Gideon. And there's a little boy out in the church that I grew up in in Texas. I love to hear our old farmer pastor uh, preach on this important passage of Scripture. We looked for a couple of Sundays before last Sunday into great men of the faith. And Gideon's victory and his test of faith is just full of blessings for us. There are lessons to be learned from Gideon. Because the Bible is so scrupulously honest in reporting those whom it tells us about. No public relations people have retouched their characters. No one else has come along to take the warts off the pictures, but they are put there just as they are. And uh, so God wants us to learn from them. There are lessons that may be learned from Gideon that are important for us to understand today because we live in a day that is uncannily similar to much of what Gideon faced. You see, if you go back to chapter 6 and read those first few verses, you will see what happened again and again. Then the sons of Israel did what was evil in the sight of the Lord. That is, the people of God who were supposed to be faithful to him did what was evil in the sight of the Lord. And the Lord gave them into the hand of Midian for seven years. Sometimes God sends trouble to chasten us and to cleanse us and to take away our evil. These people had been given much and of them much had been required and they had forgotten God. 
They thought that what they had possessed came from their own strength. And so the Lord allows Midian to prevail against Israel. And the sons of Israel made for themselves dens which were in the mountains and caves and strongholds. They had to flee from their uh, tent villages and cities and go into caves in the earth. And for it was when Israel had sown, that is, when they had made the crop uh, for the reaping, that the Midianites would come when the crops were uh, grown, uh, and they would come down and take away uh, the produce which they had labored for, the Israelites. So they would camp against them and destroy the produce of the earth as far as Gaza, and leave no sustenance in Israel, as well as no sheep or ox or donkey. For they would come up with their livestock and their tents, and they would come in like the locusts for number, both they and their camels. I wanted to get to that word. Because this is, this is a, a, an interesting in, invention in desert warfare. The camel. That's the long-range bomber uh, of ancient warfare. You see, the other uh, animals could not go so far as a camel. But when the camel came, that's why Rommel, the great German general uh, in World War II, called his, uh, his famous desert uh, warriors the Camel Corps. Uh, Long-range strikers could come, and the Midianites had the, and the Amalekites had the advantage of the camel. And so they could go very far and strike into where Israel was and make their raids. And so Israel was brought low. Anarchy had reigned in the land, and now we see God raising up people to restore order and a proper reverence and worship for his commandments. Now, just as we do when we get in trouble, we ask the question, why has this happened to me? And so Israel asked the question, because it was brought low, Israel cried unto the Lord, and it came about when the sons of Israel cried unto the Lord on account of Midian that the Lord sent a prophet. We are not told who this prophet is, and I've often wondered who he was. The Lord sent a prophet to the sons of Israel, and he said to them, Thus says the Lord, the God of Israel, It was I who brought you up from Egypt and brought you out of the house of slavery, and I delivered you from the hand of the Egyptians and from the hands of all your oppressors, and dispossessed them before you and gave you the land. And I said, I am the Lord your God, and you shall not fear the gods of the Amorites in whose land you live, but you have not obeyed me. The test of faith is obedience. Jesus in the New Testament said, If you love me, you will keep my commandments. We cannot say that we belong to him unless we are willing to demonstrate it by being obedient to him. And so, after this, an angel. Now, when we say the word angel, we need not think of some Christmas angel with a flowing white robe and great huge wings, but the angel simply means messenger from God. A stranger came, 
he must have been a very ordinary looking angel because Gideon is going to be approached by him. Then the angel of the Lord came and sat under an oak that was in Ophrah, which belonged to Joash. Joash is Gideon's father. And Gideon was beating out wheat in the wine press in order to save it from the Midianites. He was down inside a wine press thrashing out some wheat because he didn't want the Midianites up on the hillside to see it and come rushing down and take it away from him. He was hiding there. And you know, I, used to, I grew up on a farm out in East Texas. And, you know, you think about a lot of things. If you have to get up at daylight and go out there in the farm early in the morning when there's dew and we would be barefooted and we would hoe cotton and hoe corn and we call it chopping cotton and chopping corn. And you have to think about something all day long. You strike out at a lizard every now and then and hope for the excitement of a bat or something out there in the, uh, the crop as you go along. The day gets so long. And so Gideon is beating this wheat out. It's a long day. He can't even go up outside and pitch it up in the wind so that the chaff can drive it away. And he's, he's there beating the wheat, hidden away in this, in this pit of a wine press. And the angel of the Lord appeared to him and, and said this to him, The Lord is with you, O valiant warrior. Now Gideon thought the Lord had made a great mistake. Then Gideon said to him, O oh my Lord, if the Lord is with us, why? Why has all this happened to us? And where are all his miracles which our fathers told us about? Saying, did not the Lord bring us up from Egypt? But now the Lord has abandoned us and given us into the hand of Midian. He's very fearful, very humble, and very honest. And he says, well, you have just said the Lord is with us. If the Lord is with us, then why has all this trouble come upon us? And the Lord looked at him and said, go in this your strength and deliver Israel from the hand of Midian. Have not I sent you? When the Lord calls us to his service, he enables us to do the task for which he has called us. And this is an important thing for us to remember. Do you remember when Moses, a busy shepherd, and by the way, the Lord does not call lazy people. Gideon wasn't out there lying under the oak, daydreaming about what had happened. He was trying to do the best he could, uh, but he was thinking about Evidently, the oppression he was under and why it had come. Well, if you stop and read in the book of Exodus about Moses and his call, you will see, and Moses said unto God when God called him at the burning bush, Who am I that I should go unto Pharaoh and that I should bring forth the children of Israel out of the land of Egypt? And then if you read Jeremiah, one of my very favorite people in the Bible, Jeremiah says, I cannot speak for I am a child. But the Lord said unto me, Say not, I am a child. The Lord would make him able to speak. And I put a, a footnote in the bulletin from Canon Westcott that great occasion, do not make heroes of cowards. They simply unveil them to the eyes of men 
silent and imperceptible. As we wake or sleep, we grow strong or grow weak. And at last, some crisis, and the word crisis means judgment, some crisis shows us what we have become. And so there is in this farmer general potential military leadership that God will use. And so he is called. And he said unto him, O Lord, how shall I deliver Israel? Behold, my family is the least in Manasseh. Manasseh was the least tribe. My family is the least in Manasseh, and I am the youngest in my father's house. All these excuses which he brings. How can I do this? Let me say this to the young people who are here. You may be too big for God to use, but you are not too little. Remember that. You may be too big for God to use, but you are not too little. And that's an important thing to remember. One of our deacons wrote me a beautiful letter during the Christmas vacation. It came just about New Year's Day. I put it aside. And had we time last Sunday, I intended to refer to it then. But in it, he said, you know, you're always talking to young people because of the potential that's locked up in their lives. But don't forget that God is not done with you either. And there are still things that God can do through your life. And so it is with God at whatever age we are in life. We don't have to hang up the harness and think that it's all over with for us. God can still use us. That was one of the blessed things about Mr. Hoyt. He kept on using what he had and getting all the mileage out of it. And the Lord blessed him with a long... He was here in service last Sunday morning. And he came up to me after the service to say something encouraging, as he always, always tried to do. But the Lord said unto him, Surely I will be with you, and you shall defeat Midian as one man. Now Gideon's face falters a little bit. So Gideon said to him, If now I have found favor in thy sight, then show me a sign a sign that it is thou who speakest with me. Please do not depart from here until I come back to thee and bring out my offering and lay it before thee. And the angel said, I will remain. And then Gideon went and prepared an offering and he brought it back. And you know how he put it there? And the angel came forward and took his staff and touched the offering and it was gone in a puff of smoke. And I notice that the angel does not claim this for himself. The angel claims this offering from the Lord. And when this happens, Gideon has seen a sign. And he says, Alas, O Lord God, for now I have seen the angel of the Lord face to face. And the Lord, and the Lord speaks this time. And the Lord said to him, Peace to you. Do not fear. You shall not die. You remember when the young Isaiah comes up to the temple in the year that King Uzziah died. The king that was powerful in authority and majesty was dead of leprosy, the most loathsome of diseases. And Isaiah, the young Debonir, young prophet, comes up to the temple of the Lord, heartbroken and crushed, and he receives a vision from God. And the first 
expression that he says is, I am undone, for I am a man of unclean lips, and we have so much filthy talk and filthy books and filthy television and filthy movies. I am a man of unclean lips, and I dwell in the midst of an people of unclean lips, and mine eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. And what does God do? God sends one of the seraphim to go and take a coal from off the altar. And that altar prefigures Calvary and the greatest of all sacrifices that will be made to take away sin. And that burning coal cleanses the lips of Isaiah. And then the Lord enables him to go and speak. So after the call, there must come the cleansing. And the cleansing has to come here to Gideon. Gideon has had a vision of the Lord, and now a cleansing must take place. And so Gideon, Gideon knows what has to be done. You see, Gideon's father and his family had gone after other gods. They were syncretists. That's a big word that says Confucianism is all right, Buddhism is all right, Mohammedism is all right. Just mix all these religions together and make them pretty and you bow down and worship it, and that's it. That's the biggest lie on earth. Quote me to anyone you want to. That's the surest road to hell you'll ever take. The book does not teach any such thing, and you know full well it does not. You just invented your own religion when you go that route. And, you, and if you think it works, then you try dying and coming alive in three days to prove it. Here the Lord Jesus Christ teaches us here God Almighty teaches us this. This is God the Father teaching us through his servants in the Old Testament. And he's teaching us that he is very intolerant of other religions. Very intolerant. Now we can be kind, but there's a difference there. We must stand up for the truth. And so in this particular case, they were worshiping Ashtaroth and Baal. These people of Israel, they didn't destroy the altar of God entirely. They just wanted to put some more altars in there with it. And that's exactly what has to be cleansed away. And so Gideon is told to take your father's bull and a second bull seven years old and pull down the altar of Baal which belongs to your father and cut down the Ashtaroth grove that is beside it and build an altar to the Lord your God on top of the stronghold in an orderly manner, and take a second bull for a burnt offering. And then Gideon took ten men of his servants, and did as the Lord had spoken to him. And it came about, because he was too afraid of his father's household, that the men of the city, and the men of the city, that he did this by night. And when the men of the city arose early the next morning, behold, the altar of Baal was torn down, and the Ashtaroth which was beside it was cut down, and the second bull was offered on the altar beside it. And they said one to another, Who did this thing? And when they searched out and inquired, they said, Gideon. Gideon, the son of Joash, did this thing. They said, He's been acting awful strange lately. He's been going out in the woods with his Bible praying. And so they, they went after Gideon. And Gideon's old farmer father has a lot of common sense that surfaces because of the inspiration of his son 
and protesting this evil worship and idolatry to which these people have fallen into. Joash, they came to Joash's house and they asked for Gideon because they wanted to put him to death. And Joash said to all who stood against him, Will you contend for Baal or will you deliver him? Whoever will plead for him shall be put to death by morning, but if he is a god, let him contend for himself. Now what that says is simply this. You have come here to jump on my son because he cut down the altar to Baal and Ashtaroth. Well, isn't your God big enough to take care of himself? Now, a farmer can understand that kind of language. A few years ago, someone told me about a minister who came into a certain uh, a church in the mountains here and started preaching that uh, there was no hell, there was no heaven, uh, that it didn't make any difference what you believe. And uh, so the farmer congregation that he had just began to dwindle down and go away. And this man went out to try to bring the people back to church, and, and uh, they said, well, preacher, we got this thing figured out. If what you say is true, there's no use to go to church. And if what you say isn't true, then we're going to go to hell for listening to you. So there's no use in going. Well, this, <laughs> this is exactly what, what this common sense farmer propositions them with here. Well, after this, of course, you know the story of what takes place, how God has strange strategy. God's strange strategy is this. God tells Gideon to send out a call, a big patriotic call. Call all the people together. Send out that there is a leader that is arisen who wants to deliver the people of God from the hand of Midian and the Amalekites. And this arouses a lot of surface emotions. And 32,000 people come together, and Gideon looks at his 32,000 people, and he said, well, that's not a bad army. I may be able to go up against that 120,000 Midianites with, with these 32,000. And God said, uh-uh. He said, there, Gideon said, huh? And God said, no, Gideon, there are too many. And he said, too many. There are 120,000 of them. And God said, there are too many, Gideon. Tell everyone that's afraid to go home. Gideon said, are you sure? He said, tell everyone who's afraid to go home. So Gideon went out to his 32,000 troops and said, everyone who is afraid, go home. 22,000 went home. Gideon looked at his 10,000 and he said, well, maybe we can work out something with, <laughs> with 10,000, but that's all I've got left. And the Lord, in that marvelous logic of his, says to him again, uh, in his strange strategy, the people that are with thee are still too many. And again, Gideon has to reply, huh? Still too many? And God says, yes. Then Gideon thought, well, what in the world? And the Lord said, there are still too many, Gideon. If I allowed the 10,000 to triumph, you would go around boasting that you had done it, that the 10,000 had done it. So you take them all down to the streams to drink, and we're going to let them drink and separate them. And all who take water and cup it up in their hands and drink it, looking alertly for the enemy and ready to take command, you set them to one side. And all the other who go greedily and hungrily up to the water and 
put their heads down in it to drink, you set them to one side. And Gideon watched them and separated them. And he thought God was going to use the big group. You see, there were 9,700 drinking the water with their heads down in it. And Gideon thought, well, that's not bad. There are only 300 of them drinking it this way. And God said, you got it all wrong. Those 300 are the one I want. Send all the rest of them away. And then again, Gideon was baffled. You see that the tendency that we have is to count heads when God counts hearts. God is on the side of the big battalions, is what Napoleon used to say. God is on the side of the heavy artillery. But Napoleon got defeated when his heavy artillery got bogged down in God's mud. His big battalions that went into Russia didn't have enough sense to watch the geese and the ducks that were flying south in the cranes. They just kept marching right on into the fierce winter of Russia. And they were destroyed by what the Russians called General Winter, a fierce enemy. God is not always on the side of the big battalions. And it's important for us to remember that. And we sometimes, we sometimes forget it. John Wesley changed the whole course of the history of England when he shouted, give me 100 men who fear nothing but sin and who love nothing but God, and I will change the whole course of England. And he did. And so Gideon takes his 300, and you remember the story, how that they take their torches and they put them into a, over a clay vessel. First, there's that little insight we saw a while ago of the psychological warfare when God gave him a little hint of what was going to happen in the pandemonium that would later break forth. They crept up into the camp at night and they heard two fellows in their tent talking and they knew Gideon was up to something but they didn't know what. And one of them said, I had this nightmare and I just woke up and he said, what was it? And he said, I dreamed this big barley loaf came down on our camp and just crushed everything. And the other one said, I'll tell you what that is. He said, that dream means that, that Gideon is out there with a big army and he's going to kill us all. And Gideon and his servant heard this, and they sneaked back down in their camp. Then they told their people to take their, their unusual instruments of war. This was a great test of courage. He takes the unusual instruments of war and takes a, a torch and puts over the torch a clay pottery vessel. And this clay pottery vessel is there, and they are to have a trumpet in the other hand, and they are to have a sword in their belt. And they go on three sides of the enemy, and they are up in the mountains looking down in the valley at them. And then Gideon tells them to do as he does. And at the signal, the strike is given, and that clatter of pottery must have been tremendous. Any of you who live up on the side of the hill, you can hear the noise of the valley and the Interstate 40 and the trains and the people driving up and down Assembly Drive. 
Well, when those 300 vessels all broke at once, that must have really waked up the camp of Midian in a hurry. And then the light from all of those torches flashed everywhere. And then the trumpets all blew, 300 of them at one time. And the enemy got up and began to kill each other in the pandemonium that broke loose. They heard the shout, the sword of the Lord and of Gideon, and they were defeated and routed and chased clear out of the land, and the Lord had given them a great victory. And it tells us that the Lord can give us a great victory today too. That victory comes by faith. The 11th chapter of the epistle to the Hebrews tells us of faith that's in him, that's in the Lord. I wonder if we have that faith to stand up for the Lord today. I wish I could say that this were the end of the story of Gideon, that he had a call, that he had a great cleansing, that he had great courage to go up against the enemy. But there's a fourth C there, and that ended his life on a sour note. He compromised. He compromised. After a time, he began to want some of the glory for himself, and God will not share his glory with another. Every time I ever said a, a word of praise about Mr. Hoyt, he would almost stand up to refuse to hear it and disclaim it. He wanted, the God, he wanted God to receive all the praise and the glory for his life. Well, Gideon made the mistake of wanting some of the glory for himself, and so an ephod was made, apparently some strange figure that was to represent a symbol of God, which was strictly... Something even Gideon put on, and he wanted it for himself, and this led to his undoing, and he led his people wrong in the compromise. But I'd much rather have had the end of my life to be like Mr. Hoyt. To leave this life faithful to Jesus. And with this I want to close by taking an old book that was written about 1915 by a man who used to speak down here in Anderson Auditorium. And in it there's just a little thing in closing called the Branded Brow, which I think speaks so well about our friends who went yesterday to be with Jesus. Will you listen carefully as I read this? I shall begin this story, and it's a true one, with a Sunday evening. There is an old, old minister who has just returned from the church, and he has sunken down, tired out, into the armchair beside the fireplace. His little granddaughter, Marjorie, has been allowed to sit up late on this Sunday evening so that she might have a talk with her grandfather before she goes to bed. This was the treat of the week, and not to Marjorie alone, for the old minister knew nothing that made him happier or refreshed him more after the arduous labors of the Sabbath in the pulpit than to take his wee lassie upon his knees and let her talk to her heart's content. But this evening her tiny brow was clouded. A problem baffled her. What's the matter, Lassie? asked the minister. I've been reading, she said, Grandpa, about heaven. 
I've been reading about heaven while you were at church tonight, and there's one thing I cannot make out. My Bible says that there will be no sickness nor sadness in heaven, and I like that. And it says that those who are there shall never hunger nor thirst, nor shall there be any more pain, and I understand that. But it also says, his name shall be in their foreheads. What does that mean, Grandpa? Who will write the name of Jesus on their foreheads? Why, they will write it themselves, of course, Lassie. Write it themselves, Grandpa? But how? Why, Marjorie, every day we are writing the names of our masters on our foreheads. Some people make a sad mistake and serve sin, and sin stamps its seal on their faces. Some serve care, and care brands their foreheads. Health and anger and hate and love and jealousy and joy all set their marks upon the faces of those who follow them. And Marjorie, those who love the Lord Jesus, and walk with him day by day and do his will, they write the names of their dear master in their foreheads, and they cannot help it. And Marjorie looked up lovingly at her grandfather's face. She looked at the shock of silver hair. She looked into the deep, kindly, loving eyes. She gazed tenderly upon that splendid face, and then she cried, I think I understand now, Grandpa. And she flung her arms around him and kissed him and scampered off to bed. Let us pray. Our Heavenly Father, we thank you for the example of faith that Gideon was in the beginning of his life that you could take a timid farmer's soul and make him into a great general, and that by your own straight, strange strategy, you could take an army of 300 and put to flight an army of 120,000. This is a great and a grand miracle. But we thank you also, Father, for the great miracle of a newborn soul who comes into a knowledge of Jesus at 12 years of age and who walks into his presence at 90 with a branded brow, with the stamp of Jesus all about him. Help us to take an example from him and never compromise in our lives, but always be faithful to Jesus Christ to the end of our days. Bless us to that end. For Jesus' sake, amen.